0: Anybody who's run a business, if you're trying to make everybody happy and you're worried that if you make this decision that there's going to be someone somewhere in your organization that's not going to be happy with you, then maybe you're not the right one to lead the organization. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of CRISP, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started, which is $500 to my name, and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond. To learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer.
1: This is Jessica, Head of Coaching Strategy at Chris. And today we're flipping the script for another special edition episode to get Michael's take on why we learn more from our losses than our wins, how to strike a balance between pursuing future goals and feeling pride in past and present accomplishments, and why our goals and desires are subject to evolution.
0: What you're going to do next should always be greater than what you've done previously, and that's motivating and exciting. It doesn't mean you should know how to do it, because chances are, if you're pursuing something that's ambitious or a large goal or some sort of large target, you may have never done it before. Otherwise, it wouldn't be ambitious, and it's going to come with a lot of unknowns as to how you get there and how you achieve it.
1: That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Okay, here we are, Michael, for another AMMA.
0: We are back. We are back. We'll keep doing them until people don't want us to do them anymore. People stop listening. I mean, there's all sorts of things we can talk about. I thought about what if we start talking about politics on here? There's a lot of stuff that's going on in the world. What about just the economy and the just overall? Like, let's talk about climate change. Let's talk about inflation. Let's talk about all world issues. Could be interesting. I brought it up to the team. And they're like, nope. Hard no. Hard no, <laughs> not for now. But we don't run sponsors. And they're like, yeah, no, but let's keep it a business for now. So that's what we're going to do. But if you guys send us a message at 404-531-7691 and you'd like to hear some of that stuff, well, then I'll bring it to the team and be like, look, it's, it turns out a lot of people would love to hear my take on the presidential election and the upcoming election. Okay. And the challenges in the world. And how do we go about solving them? Least, and you
1: really peel back the curtain to the home of the moguls.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So... Thank you for joining another AMMA. We'll keep the show free, uncensored, unfiltered, and we won't run any ads as long as you guys share the show if you like the show. So like literally go in right now, share this episode with a friend, share another episode that you like with a friend and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, et cetera. This helps us reach more people. I mean, this podcast now, I believe it's the number one most listened to podcast in the entire legal industry, which is amazing and we're extremely grateful for. And we'll keep recording these episodes. We do a couple of episodes every single week. There's the Encore Editions, the most popular episodes. We bring those back. And then there's the standard traditional interview style format. I'm excited about the guests coming on the show this season. We've had incredible guests over the last several years. And this year is going to be epic. Okay. So let's do that. Let's do the MMA. Perfect. I'm ready. What questions do we have, Jessica?
1: All right. So this one's a lot about actually reflection. So I think it's something that we all could probably do a little better at. So first one here, I often find myself dwelling on past mistakes. For example, last year I invested a lot of time, resources, and money into preparing for a trial that I ended up losing. Have you ever found yourself reliving past mistakes? If so, what strategies did you use to move forward?
0: Yeah, well, you call it mistakes. It's another word you know, for experience. And here's what I will say. The people in my life that I found that are the most successful also take the losses the hardest. But what they do is they take that loss to heart and learn from it, and then they move on. Right. So they don't dwell on the mistakes, because if you're one of these people, you take a hard punch down, you don't get back up. Well, then, you know, forget about your potential. It's your attitude towards mistakes. And it's understanding that it's not really failure until you quit. So anytime something doesn't go your way, that should be a learning lesson. So whenever we do something and let's say we invest a ton of resources, a ton of time into any sort of campaign, initiative, project, person, hire, whatever it is. And that doesn't work out for whatever reason. We always do a postmortem. And we always look at it and say, okay, well, what's the lesson here? What did we learn? And it's, this is very, very important to do because if you just move on or you say, hey, they just weren't the right fit, you can come up with all sorts of reasons for why something didn't work, but if, but you unfortunately will miss the lesson. So it's oftentimes, I mean, it's something that you either failed to do, a blind spot, again, something didn't go your way, oh, I didn't like the judge or, you know, the, the, the jury that we selected, they didn't really understand the details of the case, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like, how could you have done better, right? Because that becomes much more productive. And as I reflect on a lot of mistakes, I actually take pride in collecting a, a, you know, a lot of mistakes and a lot of you know, experiences, if you will, because I think it makes me wiser and I think it makes me more capable. When I meet leaders or business leaders that are afraid to make a mistake, I'm like, man, you're never going to be successful because you're trying to bat a hundred right? Or a thousand or whatever the expression is. Every decision you make, you're trying to be right all the time. So that's going to rule out anything that has any probability of, you know, let's say not going your way. And some of the, the, the things that have the highest upside, the decisions that have the highest upside also have probability that it will not go your way. There's a risk involved, you know, time risk, financial risk, etc. cetera. So reflecting on these experiences is important because you can always take away the learning lessons, which can then set you up for the next decision. But then at the same time, it's being willing to do it, you know, willing to make those decisions. Some of the best trial lawyers that I know have had crushing defeats. And that's what's given them now the experience and confidence every time they go into the courtroom. And someone who has the perfect record and saying, oh, we've never lost a case ever. Well, maybe that's because they're only picking and choosing the cases that have a hundred percent success rate. And they're not taking on the tough cases that would actually build up their skills and build up their capabilities and create that level of true confidence. So rather than just trying to protect your downside, really consider the upside too. And to just realize that like, welcome to the club, you know, now you're one of us, somebody who has made a tremendous mistake. I mean, I can correlate the two in in business as well. The greatest failures, if you will, um, or let's say the the greatest learning lessons of things not going their way, their business blows up, they have a mass exodus of people, they invest a ton of money, they lose a ton of money, and then they rise up from that. Generally, that's also correlated with some of the most successful people because we all have war stories. And those that do not have those stories, well, they didn't play the game at a very high level. They were just gambling $5 chips and wondering why they never left the table with $1,000, right? Well, because they're just playing too small. You know, so they're in, in, instead of trying to uh, win big, they're trying to lose small.
1: Mm-hmm. It's also like sales the people who sell the most also get rejected the
0: most. Absolutely. You've got to put Every yourself out time. there. You got to get the reps out there, you have to experience the losses. You have to learn from them because the learning part is very important. A lot of people just make mistakes and then they say, well, if I just fail all the time, then I'm just going to get better. Not necessarily. You actually have to take the learning lesson from that and then change your behavior going forward because you can say, oh, okay, well, it wasn't my fault. And then you go into the next thing. Pff, guess what's going to happen? Same thing again. And if you're repeating the same mistake over and over again, well, then you're just not learning.
1: That's it. All right. All right. Moving on to the next one. So I have watched your journey and admire your relentless drive. But as I strive for my own success, I wonder, how do you maintain that delicate balance between pursuing future goals and feeling pride in past and present accomplishments?
0: Yeah, I think one supports the other. So it's important to reflect on the past accomplishments to essentially build confidence to make the future decisions. And again, what you've done previously, is great. It should be the stepping stone for what you're going to do next. But what I see with a lot of entrepreneurs is that they're patting themselves on the back for what they did in past years, right? This is where you get into like the high school jocks, you know, from the varsity. They're they're still wearing, you know, their letterman jackets saying, hey, remember how, you know, how cool we were back in high school or, you know, same thing with college. Remember, you know, you don't want to peak in the past. I think the lowest form of conversation between two people is remember when. So it's important to be able to have those successes and also actually celebrate and appreciate those wins and the things that you learned. But there's also this idea that your future should always be greater than your past. So what you're going to do next should always be greater than what you've done previously. And that's motivating and exciting. It doesn't mean you should know how to do it because chances are, if you're pursuing something that's ambitious or a large goal or some sort of large target, you may have never done it before, you know, hopefully, otherwise it wouldn't be ambitious. And it's going to come with a lot of unknowns as to how you get there and how you achieve it. So that's the exciting part. The exciting part is the journey of figuring it out. It's not the actual achievement itself. I mean, the achievement is probably it's nice for a little bit. This is also why, you know, when you, when you talk to coaches who win the Super Bowl or like college football championships, national titles, they're excited, obviously, when they win. But what they really reflect on that was fulfilling was the, was the journey of getting there, like building that team, how they practiced, like the lessons they learned, just navigating that entire season. That's always the most exciting part. The win is great, but then you wake up the next morning and what's next? right? And they always ask Tom Brady, he's like, hey, what was your favorite Super Bowl? And he's always like, well, the next one, because it's understanding that the true joy comes in the pursuit, not so much reaching that destination. Sometimes reaching the destination is a pretty empty feeling, but it's the actual journey itself. So reflecting is important, but always making sure that you're setting bigger and bigger goals so that you're constantly excited motivated and that you're not stuck on here. Remember what I did and you get in the torn rotator cuff, everyone patting themselves on the back.
1: All right. And let's close it out with our third one here. So I have faced situations where I had to make tough decisions that impacted my team negatively. It's been tough to handle their disappointment. Have you had to make such calls and how do you navigate it?
0: Yes. So you had to make a tough decision that not everybody liked? I mean, when you say wh- it that way. <laughs> Welcome to running a business. I mean, what's, what's the quote by Nick Saban? It's like, you want to make everybody happy, sell ice cream. Here, I'll put it this way. If you're trying to run this democracy in your organization where let's get everybody's opinion, let's try to make everybody happy, you're probably not going to grow a great organization because the reality of it is you're going to have to make some difficult decisions that are for the greater good of the organization. That is the value that you provide as a leader. Like you are paid for your judgment and not your time. So you being able to exercise good judgment is obviously understanding that there's going to be some people you're going to make happy. There's going to be other people that you don't make happy, sometimes in the short term, sometimes even in the long term. But is this going to be a decision that makes the organization more competitive and allows everybody to be able to thrive long-term? It's such an interesting question. And I say interesting because I want to say silly and ridiculous because I mean, it's just what it is. I, anybody who's run a business, if you're trying to you know, make everybody happy and you're worried that if you make this decision that there's going to be someone somewhere in your organization that's not going to be happy with you, then maybe you're not the right one to lead the organization. Maybe you just, you're not built for this. Maybe you don't have the stomach for it. Or maybe you're one of these people that's shaking your head as I'm saying this and saying, well, Mike, you don't understand. I make decisions where everybody buys in. And I'm like, what do you have, like two people in your company? Like everybody buys in? I mean, I'll give you an example, right? Let's say, you know, we decide to host this, this big conference. I know we talked about it. This is the one we did in, uh, you know, in 2022 it was at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It was a massive, massive event, right? It's exciting. But then you go internally in the organization and you realize that, well, this is going to demand a lot of people. Right. So there's going to be certain certain projects and initiatives and programs that we had to put on hold. OK. Operations team wasn't too thrilled about that. Marketing team is being stretched tremendously. Sales team is being stretched. Production team. We've got to put out more content than we ever have leading up to this event. They're stretched. There's going to be people on every single one of these teams. that's like, oh, I, I, you know, it's like it's cool that we're doing this, this big event, but I'm not happy with the additional workload or the time constraints or whatever. And because what? Because they're unhappy. We're just not going to do it. Like, I mean, that would be silly. So that's why you exist as a leader. The idea is that you're, you're charting the course. So you have this vision that you want to achieve and there has to be you know, some sort of path to get there and you have to be able to provide certainty, perhaps in times of uncertainty, and when you do so, you're going to make some people unhappy. Yeah, because they're not seeing it the way that you are. I mean, sometimes you, you get a bird's eye view of things and you can step away from the business. You have a lot more clarity that you can see, OK, well, we do this and it's going to lead to this. And you consider the second order and third order consequences of things. And you say, OK, well, now I believe as a result of evaluating this, that making this decision is going to make us more competitive and a more competitive law firm going forward into the future. OK, great. So you have made a decision that you believe is better for the organization long term not everyone's going to see it that way because not everybody has the same amount of information. Not everyone sees it from the same perspective. Sometimes they see it specifically from their department and it may not have a positive impact on them immediately. Sometimes it'll have a negative impact and they're not going to be happy, but I mean, you just got to learn and live with it. And and again, providing context is helpful. And we did a whole episode on this of providing context, making sure people understand the why, like you don't want to just make decisions and then have people questioning every single thing that you're doing. But even when you do those things, there's going to be people that don't agree with everything you're, you're doing. I mean, I would say on average, I don't know, maybe 50, 60, 70, 80 percent of the things that we've done over the years Not everyone has agreed with, maybe 100 percent. We have 140 people in the company, right? This idea that everybody agrees with every move we make. Absolutely not. I don't know that that needs to be the case either. But I think a good barometer is we want to have about 80 percent of the organization aligned with any given decision because you don't want 80 percent of the organization against you. I mean, that'd be silly. Then how are you guys going to get anything done? But it's also understanding who you're speaking to and it's, oftentimes speaking to the 80% versus speaking to 100% of people and saying, I don't want to get every single person to agree with me?
1: And it's something Cy Wakeman I learned very early on with is not everyone's opinion weighs the same. Yeah. I used to harp on that and be like, oh God, this person's not happy or they're not going to be on board with this. I'm like, am I changing everything for this person?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, try- I'm trying to think of scenarios I can give two. There was a conference years ago where we were wanting to put the cars up on stage and then we actually wanted to bring some of our clients up on stage too. In order to do that, the weight limit of a traditional stage would not hold that, you know, it would just collapse. That load, yeah. So we had to invest. And when the AV company hit me with the quote, and they, I think it was like over $15,000, to reinforce the stage to be able to support the weight of cars and humans that would be up on stage. Now, certain members of the team were like, man, why are we spending $15,000 to reinforce the stage? That money should go to us. And we should be raises, right? Well, that's fine to have that opinion. But- Obviously, it would enable us to, to provide a certain experience at the event that we weren't able to have previously. The other thing is, look, we could pass out hundred dollar bills to everybody at the company, and so there's going to be some people that say, well, "Why did I get a hundred, not two hundred? Or why did this other person get also get a hundred? They've been here for three days. I've been here for three years, right? So you're not going to make everybody happy, but hopefully, you realize this on your first day of business, okay? And if you're still realizing, you better come to terms with it. Now, you're not having to do things with any blatant disregard for anyone. It's just the fact that the whole point of the value that you offer is that you are making decisions on behalf of other people. And if you're one of these people that makes decisions by committee of like, Hey, let's have our, you know, let's have everybody vote on it or let me take it to the partners. And we're going to have like five or six people agree on every decision. Can you imagine how slow you progress you would make? And then also you're going to hit stalemates. There's going to be some people that don't agree because everybody comes at it from different motivations and different experiences. Some people are more focused on growth. Some people are more focused on relaxing and chilling. They want to pull money out. They want to be done today. You know, others are focused on the future. So you're not going to make everybody happy, but that's the value you provide of somebody making a decision and being able to move forward. I remember there's this great clip from in the moving lone survivor when the SEALs, they're up on that hill and uh, they're trying to decide because they've like captured this guy. And they're like, well, what do we do? Do we let him go? Because if we let him go, they're going to send reinforcements. And if we kill him, that's kind of like against our code, right? And the SEALs are kind of arguing about against one another. And then the SEAL commander is like, here's what we're going to do. All right. And they all look to him and, and they move forward and you know Jeff Bezos has this expression of like disagree and commit is that the best leaders can interpret all the information it's like i want to you know want to hear from you like what what is your perspective sometimes you want to hear from the different department leaders but in the end you're going to make a decision and the best leadership teams they don't all have to agree 100% of the time saying hey we evaluate this information here's the decision we're going to make some people agree some people don't agree but we're all going to commit to this decision and we're not going to play this game later on that says, if it doesn't work out, well, I told you we shouldn't have do it or I didn't agree or whatever. You know, these people that are kind of half-hearted with a toe in. do not They don't commit to anything because they don't ever want to be wrong, but they're pointing fingers when something goes wrong. Right? They don't ever want to make the plan themselves and they don't ever want to go with the plan. So, but when something goes wrong that they can point out for their, like social credit, social status points of saying, well, I knew we shouldn't have do that. Okay, well, let's rewind the time machine. And what do you think we should have done? Oh, you don't really have an opinion. Oh, okay. Well, that's why you're not running the damn company, okay? Because somebody has to do it. And somebody has to be willing to go into the arena and be wrong and face that criticism and face that perhaps animosity at times and be able to have that steel stomach in a way of being able to take on all those stones and tomatoes they're going to throw at you to be able to navigate the company to where it needs to go long term. You're going to make unpopular decisions. You got to live with them.
1: All right. I think that answers the question and then some.
0: There we go. All
1: right. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney podcast with Michael Mogul. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that we can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of Michael's book, Absolutely Free, at GameChangingAttorney.com. Number two, you can shoot Michael a text at 404-531-7691 and ask him any question you'd like. You might just hear the answer on the next episode. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it will help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on this episode, see the show notes in your podcast app or visit LegalPodcast.com.